0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Hollywood Rx. The doctors are in. Glorious. Oh, I already made a joke. How are you, Dr. D? (laughs) I am, uh, I'm in good spirits. Excellent. That's how I am. Well, tonight, ladies and our dear listeners, we are going head to head. (laughs) <laughs> on Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.
1: Damn right.
0: I, I, will, I, I will take the first, the first step into the arena. Please. To sum it up generally, even though I thought it could have been trimmed a little tighter in some sections. And spoiler alert, a few headbangs too few at the end and i would almost call this his best film but to me it ranks up there with kill bill i thought the performances were incredible i thought the i thought the recreation of la at that time was incredible and i actually really liked how he handled the whole polanski tate thing but my favorite my favorite part though oh wow okay is what is the part called the Wrath of Adam? Because now I've just rattled off everything <laughs> he is going to assail in the next few minutes. Take it away, Doctor D.
1: Okay, you say you, you, you are going to rattle it you know off. No, I
0: just rattled off.
1: Oh, I see, I see, I understand. I thought you were literally going to go. These are the like calling my shot, pointing at the, at the you know the bleachers ah. at the back of the field and saying this is these no, are I'm the sure various things that. he's going to say uh, okay so uh, very briefly before we really start mixing it up I will say that since I saw it I have been reading little things here and there and hearing people talk about it here and there and have maybe softened on it a little bit more but for the purposes of this conversation I'm trying to bring myself back to my original fury
0: yes <laughs> yes and what I
1: will what I will say is that oh absolutely they recreated in the larger sense Los Angeles in that period and in sort of a, a, a more locally specific sense, Hollywood and the the sort of machinations of Hollywood and and the the behind-the-scenes sort of part of it, uh, with the clothing and the...
0: uh, The signage. I'm
1: not so much going to say... I'm not so much going to say the music in the way uh, Tarantino usually uses music, but the radio. Yes. In a way that I don't... I haven't seen used either by him or others in this kind of specific way. All of that was exquisitely and thoughtfully crafted, I only wish he had spent that amount of concentration on the actual script itself. I I feel that the writing is, is lazy, that it's bloated. Yeah. That, you know, I think in other Tarantino movies, if you plugged in different actors and they did some of that banter, it could be just as good. You could recast... Vincent and whoever the other one was talking about royales with cheese, and that would still be a good scene. You could probably put in ten different actors in there. But this one relies so much uh, on uh, on uh, Pitt and DiCaprio breathing life into uh, those moments that they're together, their chemistry together, that that, that that lifts the material in a way that it doesn't deserve or earn, and that's the end of my... Preamble and now ding 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 <laughs> the bell sounds, and you can come out swinging.
0: Okay, I like to think of it. I think maybe we should think of this more as a uh, a chess match. Okay, so uh, all right, oh, so I like the that. ding is like okay. is like is like when they hit the clock, you know, dang, like you know, now okay. it's your move. I got you. I think I can understand the writing criticism. I also tend to wonder to what extent he may not have made the best editorial choices given the f- apparently by all accounts four hour work print that he started with
1: mm-hmm. Can I stop you for one second and just say you stopped I think just about sorry <laughs> you'd already you'd already drifted to a halt. I did. Uh, through lack of your I own did. inertia, was little, okay. there was a
0: little pause there, and you uh, you filled
1: it. <laughs> okay, good, good. I just didn't want to, um, you know, like steamroll in where I wasn't where there wasn't an opening. Um, honestly, I feel like almost every movie's work print is it's... between three and a half and four okay, hours true. long.
0: Maybe I, maybe work print was not. The
1: difference is with him. Uh, sometimes he'll break it into two different parts and just put the whole thing out, as in the Kill Bill Volume 1, Volume 2. Anyone who's seen those movies, you have to have known, looking at the 250-page script, that it was going to end up being two movies. Well, I didn't know um, the script but was he'll 250 just, He'll just pages, release... Well, you know what I'm saying. I do know the, what you're saying.
0: I, you, may, I may have used whatever. work print incorrectly.
1: No, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. I had heard the same thing. He, he's actually time. now going to release the four-hour version i think i heard that it's going to be released on netflix or something
0: yes
1: yes well this is what i'm saying it's like to me what that's like is is like the parents running over to the potty after little johnny made made a dookie and cheering for him look at the whole thing there it is go yay yay it's just like to me that's like, oh, let me put out this thing that really probably shouldn't be. It's at two and a half hours is ridiculously long. How could four hours be better? <sighs> Sorry, I'm not yelling at you. Well, everyone is safe. Everyone here is safe, but I am I'm so mad. I'm so mad. How many goddamn times do I need to watch Brad Pitt drive down the fucking street? You yes, we drove everywhere. We still drive everywhere. Fuck you. That's not content.
0: Oh, my God. Wow. So. Sorry. So the atmosphere, the time period we created, the, the gorgeous cinematography by Robert Richardson, that doesn't do anything for you to kind of sit in the, no, it in doesn't. the mood of a movie? It, it doesn't. Even if it's not necessarily. It doesn't really. Hang
1: on. Up. I'm sorry. Um, hang on, though. Okay. Listen. Listen. I can look at a documentary and see what it used to look like. I feel like... I was going to save this whole thing for later, but I'm going to bring it up now anyway. I'm sorry. I I, I don't know, even know why I'm apologizing, partly because I, I feel like I'm going to be derailing this conversation and talking about another film immediately. But so soon? There is a justification here. <laughs> there is a justification here. Uh, I had read somewhere, actually I think it was almost definitely in the... Um, <sighs> sorry, in the trivia on the IMDb page, but then I started looking for it elsewhere. But essentially, Quentin Tarantino was quoted as saying, well, a bunch of different things, but for one thing he said that this was a, this is kind of a fairy tale, which you kind of is a no-duh because it begins with the phrase once upon a time. But that it's also what he described as a memory piece. Yes. Which I don't I need to like I was looking online to see if I could find like a definitive definition of that phrase because I feel like I only started hearing it in the last few years. And so I wanted to know like what does that phrase officially like what does it cover or contain? But most importantly, to the point of my interruption here, is that he likened it to I'm about to get volcanic. He likened it to 2018's Roma, by Alfonso
0: Cuarón.
1: Interesting. A not interesting, Sacra fucking Ego-fucking-tistical. That is not a fair comparison at all. Fair only in the sense of whatever the general term memory piece might mean. But Alfonso Cuarón took his story. He actually had a story. And he built it around family memories, and people he knew, and his own life experiences, and every moment of that goddamn film, which I adored, is filled with life and people and character that are well-rounded and deep. And so when they're just walking down a street, and I'm seeing an incredible recreation of that place and time, I was spellbound because I was looking...
0: Sorry, just, I'm making a joke
1: about, okay. about recreating, I'm sorry,
0: Mike. recreating the the Roma <laughs> setting.
1: Got you. That yes, there wouldn't be much uh, difference
0: between then and now. Ha ha. Continue.
1: ice oh I see I see. Sorry, sorry sorry sorry. I understand. Um. Anyway, just watching those characters walk down that street to me or those watching those characters turn off the lights in a house. Yeah. I was I was completely engrossed because I thought I was I felt I was looking at real people. And there was emotional complexity to what happened from within each scene and from one scene to the next that added up to a meaningful result to me. But you just and, but you
0: just said a minute ago that there may be some yeah. some broader more common definition of memory piece than you know of, and that could very well be the context in which he meant it. I don't think he meant to say that he's telling the same kind of human story as Roma. I think I interpreted, because I'd read that also, and I just interpreted that yeah. to mean that he's pulling personal moments and details from his own history and 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 finding a story around it. That's how okay. I took it,
1: and I'm and I'm just suggesting I what I'm suggesting is that Roma is a masterpiece, and this is not, and therefore it should and,
0: not be and, spoken of in the same breath.
1: You you shouldn't as the, as an artist and a creator, it is up to us to say, oh my God, this movie is a memory piece on the level with Roma, not for the artist himself to invoke somebody else's masterpiece and say, oh, like that, is my personal. Opinion. So I I was actually quite aside from however I felt about this movie, I was just launched into a. Uh, let's see, Quarantino th- thinks of this movie as his memory piece. He even compares it to Alfonso Cuarón's Roma. So uh, this is now like third hand. So I don't really know.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, whoever wrote that th- that could might be the have, writer. You know, portrayed it as compared but that may not have been i thought i had read the exact quote somewhere but i could be okay wrong. but anyway and
1: and that's what i was trying to find that's what i was trying to find out in the uh i
0: think you hate him. in the i think wild west yes go on i think you hate him and you're just like almost anything is poison <laughs> Comes from or is associated uh, with him
1: i appreciate your uh besmirchment of me i am shocked that you think after all these years that i could have such a shallow approach to anything i start i didn't start this conversation with it but i will say right now from the top that not so much reservoir dogs but certainly by the time pulp fiction i had a great i had a, a great deal of I, I hesitate to even call it professional jealousy because i had no profession
0: right it would imply a professionalism that neither of us had yeah. at that
1: time <laughs> um but i was not i was not i thought that pulp fiction was revolutionary uh, in much in much this did you just go uh I, I bit well uh-huh okay just really fast okay so it sounded like one. in much the same like when i left i can literally remember leaving a movie theater in the 80s on the east side, you know, a couple blocks from Central Park, walking out of the theater having seen the first Terminator movie Mm. and thinking to myself, well, this changes everything. That I I was so taken by how Cameron sort of broke onto the scene with that without even really understanding Cameron, or I didn't have the level of kind of the ability to break things down the way I do now. I didn't possess any of those tools i was 20 something
0: Mm.
1: but i could i felt like i had just seen something important and then that was followed by aliens which re re reconfirmed and that was then and then and then terminator 2. and so even while even while i felt a little um being annoyed by cameron because of his success i i fully recognized okay this is this is important and i and i felt the same way to a certain extent, about pulp fiction. So I will acknowledge that I have this this dark side to me, but one of my favorite scenes in one of my favorite movies, uh, a True Romance, in the middle of that, there's a scene with, I'm going to forget everyone's Dennis name Hopper. now, like a terrible person, Dennis Hopper, and who's he Chris talking Walken. to? Chris Walken. That scene is one of my favorite scenes in cinema, and it is a perfect Quentin Tarantino scene. Okay. The first 20 minutes of Inglorious Bastards is possibly, to me, that is up there with the first 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan, and it's up with the first 30 minutes of Full Metal Jacket. Like, th- so powerful in just that part that you almost don't need it the rest of the thing.
0: Wow, you felt it that is strongly that level about Inglourious of Inglourious Bastards.
1: I felt that strongly about the first 20 minutes of Inglorious Bastards that it was so phenomenal that in some ways it eclipsed things that followed. Ah, uh, okay. It it didn't it didn't achieve the same greatness in its 40th minute, in its 60th minute, in its 180th uh. minute that it did in the first 20 minutes. So I'm saying, here's this guy who can build these Beautiful mouse traps of these scenes that are so filled with tension, even when we don't know anybody, even when we don't know who's anybody's character is or anything like that. And here he stepped back and he said, I'm gonna take my time and I'm gonna let things unfold. And to me, it just went <laughs> the whole time. Hmm. That fucking scene where Brad Pitt, I'm sorry, I'm now on, I'm a fucking on a steam. That scene where Brad Pitt goes to the ranch. And gets out of his car, walks all the way down, walks all the way back. That could have felt like... It absolutely could have felt like the Inglorious Bastard scene. It had had the possibility for tremendous tension. And it was completely flat. And I just said, he's not here to work. He, Quentin Tarantino, isn't here to work. Or Or he's taking the day off and he's just... He's piddling around, I, I and, and what you. am I here I hear
0: for? you. I mean, I feel in general like, yeah, he needs to spend a little more time on the scripts and not be so loosey-goosey, but right. it didn't bother me as much in this movie, I guess, because of the time period being created, and also because of my uh, my little Manson fascination, history, okay. so which I don't know if you had or not, I suspect not, but I know that I was very impatient for the first hour or so, but I think it was more because I was impatient for the Manson stuff to come in, and I don't know if it would bother me as much the second time. Because I found myself very often in those shots of Brad Pitt in the car driving around and the radio's on, I I found myself kind of chuckling out loud like, this is like I'm in the fucking back seat. It reminded me actually of which I'm really amazed no one else has, has really jumped on. But it really reminded me of American graffiti.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
0: In that it was like the culture of driving yeah. around Everyone living Leisurely. Or sort of almost lived in the Yeah, their cars. leisurely driving yeah. around. And it's always magic hour and sunglasses <laughs> and you know, and then there's like this cool shit on the radio right i, I look forward but to not soak, just hang on to soaking in a longer bath of that
1: right not just that there's cool shit on the radio but that maybe more in hollywood than in than in um american graffiti that everybody is listening to the same radio station
0: well that's true and that, that you would be... cut
1: from one place to another and no in, in a way this is true now there's so much fracture that we're all listening to something, but no one else can hear what we're listening to, and none of us are listening Whereas to the same thing. Whereas back then,
0: everyone had the same two or three stations to listen to.
1: Yeah, I mean that's how water cooler right. moments came to exist because everyone had seen a but thing. That
0: was part of it, but that was part of his uh, his growing up. I oh, think it was was was, was, was K Rock or whatever it was.
1: Right, I'm not knocking it. I'm not knocking any of this. I that part of it, I'm saying that is a very true kind of. That that is as that is as important a way as having the costumes yeah. be in the period and the you know the cars and
0: everything. But it also else. fits in like with his other films. He has this sort of like mono newsography. Like there's only one way. People are only listening to one station. Like in Reservoir Dogs and here too. Uh, you know or. The, you know, the BBC or the Voice of America or the official German radio broadcasts and Inglorious right, Basterds right. and I think Pulp Fiction probably does the same radio station too, I just think that's one of his little trademarks also. Oh,
1: okay, then I, then I, then I am going to correct my position and say going back to the well too many times I was thinking of it as a, as a thumbs up, but you've convinced me now that it's actually a thumbs yeah. down. I know that wasn't your intention. Yeah, that's but your prerogative. It fits more comfortably in my oh, this guy's a fucking hack because I go back and forth between he does these things that are extraordinary, and then I see just incredible hackiness at the same time.
0: I, I, I don't see how a little a little thing like that is hacky.
1: Well, if if it's no, I just mean oh, hacky is the wrong is the wrong thing, but like, once you start delighting and referencing your own self and your own work, it starts to me to become a little bit, of a stroke fest.
0: Well, okay. I will say that, yes, like the referring to the Vincent Vega brothers across three movies and, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, I will agree with you about that. But I don't think the... I don't think having a world where everyone is tuned in to the same thing, I don't see that as being on the same level as referencing other characters from your other movies. Like there's this... No universe. I, I, no, no, it isn't. It isn't of, of what, continuing what I crazy was, stories.
1: I, no, it, it, what it what it's falling into the category of is if when I thought it was something unique and special and thoughtful about this project, and you point out to me, no, he does the same. He's done the same thing other times. It then diluted its value here.
0: Well, I'm am su- surprised mm-hmm. that it didn't register with you from Reservoir Dogs because it was it was pretty prominent in Reservoir Dogs.
1: I have Reservoir Dogs on my DVR, I haven't seen it since it was released. I did not have the mental capacity to fully appreciate what he might have been doing or the context to decode what it meant to be watching a Quentin Tarantino movie. So I'm going to go look at that with fresh eyes and and hopefully not so bitter. I had hoped to to have been able to see it by the time we spoke today, I just couldn't get to it.
0: now. I would like to qualify for our listening audience who may not be aware of such things as have been previously disclosed, yes. but uh, I want to get the record straight lest anyone get the wrong idea, you know, if I'm, if I'm one of those acolytes. Yeah. I didn't see Reservoir Dogs until after Pulp Fiction. I Oh, think, cool. Yeah, I think I was too jealous to see it when it was theatrical. I, yeah, I never saw it in the theater. So, once I got past the professional jealousy aspect of it, Reservoir Dogs is a terrifically executed first film. There are a lot of mm-hmm. great things in Pulp Fiction. I like Jackie Brown very much, although I don't think it's necessarily a, a great film, but I think it's, it's probably the most personable of his films. And then there was Death Proof, which was sort of fun to sit through, but it's nothing, it, it, it didn't transcend the genre that he was, right. that he set out to making it. Um, I did not like Inglorious Bastards or Django. I mean, we covered both of those, I think, in this show. We've talked yeah.
1: about them in the past, but I, they haven't been the sole focus yeah. of a, a show necessarily. And, and
0: in retrospect, I find that there is an ugliness to his early films that corrode the things that I like about them Mm. for me, basically his crowning achievement is kill bill one and two, the complete Epic that to me is, is his best work. And I feel like this is a strong number two and oddly enough, I think of Inglorious bastards, hateful eight and Django as middle to low.
1: Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. Did you call, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, his str- a strong number two.
0: At this point, I'm feeling for me like it's a strong number two.
1: Because that's exactly how I feel about it too, but with a different meaning of, of the phrase, number, number two.
0: two. Whop, Thank you. Yes. well done, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Well Thank done. you.
1: And I just want to say that I enjoyed Inglorious bastards way more than I've enjoyed a lot of his other films as I did enjoy Django Unchained, both of them up to a point. Usually somewhere near the climax, he loses me completely. And in fact, in Glorious Bastards, I was so put off by the last, I don't know, 20 minutes. Once the the flamethrowers started going, I was like, uh, I'm not interested anymore. Not that I'm pro-Nazi. I just am not pro-rewriting.
0: Just for the record. Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm just not pro rewriting history for in, in an unearned, I felt like an unearned way.
0: Interesting. I feel like with both of those films especially, I feel he brings them to a point where he's almost really elevated B-movie homage to an yes. art form and then gets completely overindulgent in... The grossness of a B movie, and the the planes in the mountain. I'm, at that <laughs> point, I'm usually done. Now, with Inglorious yeah. Bastards, I almost feel like it's not fair for me to criticize it because of my upbringing, mm-hmm. which most people probably don't know. My dad was a camp survivor. Consequently, I have a knee jerk bad reaction to the humorization of nazi yeah of nazism yeah. and it, and, it, and it goes for charlie chaplin too it's just not in me to find great it i'm sunny. sorry
1: i'm sorry charlie chaplin with regards to the the dictator the great dictator, the great dictator. Yeah. all right i just I, I thought you had something against the tramp and i was like wait a minute i'm really no, lost no, no, now no, no. okay yeah well i i didn't care for the great dictator either Holy moly, I can't believe we're talking about uh, Charlie Chaplin. Uh, I didn't care for that much. That's as
0: sacrilegious as him bringing up Roma,
1: isn't it? No, 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 no. In this context. No, but I mean, I I certainly... The Roma of the show. There are films that feature the Tramp character that I find magical and funny. And, you know, he he wanted to make some sort of political points or something. And that, that then took away from the genius of what he was good at to me. Chaplin.
0: Yeah. Although maybe it applies here too.
1: <laughs> oh shoot, I lost the trail of what I was going to say, but
0: well, we we were we were talking about how he generally kind of loses us oh, somewhere in the third act because yeah, he starts Yeah, like, you overindulging. were indulging. Right,
1: you were specifically saying, yeah, overindulging in sort of B-movie tropes of the grotesquerie uh, uh, and goryness Yes. Yes, I think that's fair and that's sort of where I lost my way with both Bastards and um, why do I keep uh, Django w- which I I really enjoyed a lot I didn't have as I wish we were talking about those at the time because I really had a lot less bad things to say about them
0: we probably did and we just don't remember
1: oh okay yeah maybe but as long as we're on that subject there was a great deal of hooping and hollering and cheering and laughing in the last 10 minutes of the screening that I saw The leader of the pack was my wife.
0: Yeah, I've read that, and I think that actually happened in the theater that I saw it at, too, but I might have uh, repressed that. Right. Wait a minute.
1: You read about my wife, or you just read about that reaction in general? (laughs) Both. I, I wonder if she'd made the papers. Just for the, those people who are just tuning in, papers is a reference to something called newspapers, which used to be a popular You're way right. of conveying right. information. Right.
0: Those papers, not business papers. <laughs> I don't think that he was really. Uh, I'd like to think he wasn't intending for there to be laughter, because I found I found them really horrific. Yes. But not comically stylized. No. So to me, that's more a sadder comment on where we are as a society, that Mm -hmm. people found such humor in that, whereas I had my stomach turning.
1: Even if, yes, even if you set aside the humor, let's just focus on the cheering for a moment, okay? Ultimately, I think that as a work of fiction, the cheering is a flawed reaction. How so? Let me explain what I mean. How so? in the world that exists within once upon a time in hollywood those three people were never able to do a terrible terrible thing and so the murders that they then suffered were catastrophically sized for the non-crime or the crime they were not able to commit so we're cheering because of the crime that was actually committed in our universe about it, about that that punishment being dished out to characters that didn't perform that crime. Now, had they been able to perform the crime and then receive their just desserts in that way, it would make more sense to me, sort of in a in a storytelling and then satisfying, res- being a, having a receiving a satisfying response because justice was would be meted out. But he was he wanted to do something much more innocent and much more sort of. Completely the opposite of Reservoir Dogs, let's say,
0: mm.
1: was which was to to subvert or, you know, give history a new course in a way that I felt was much more earned here than it was in, in Glorious Bastards, if only mm. because he started by saying once upon a time. And so just with those four words, however many words that is, he bought himself space to it, not to have to be perfectly true.
0: Hmm. Yeah,
1: And it, it, even in a way, since Once Upon a Time is not only the beginning of fairy tales, but is also the idea of even like Grimm's fairy tales and those sorts of things, the goriness it can be invited in through that as well. So in some ways he was justified in both those things here. But I was in no way, It was grim. I was in no way in a, at a storytelling level surprised because as soon as I heard, oh, it's set during the time of the Manson murders. And then the more you heard little bits and pieces, oh, it's going to, you know, it's going to feature some of that stuff. I just went back in my mind to bastards and I went, oh, he's just going to fucking change what happened. And so while you were waiting for an hour for that story to start, I didn't care if it ever started in a way because I kind of already knew how it was going to end what i didn't know was necessarily how they were going to converge with our heroes.
0: Well, bully for you.
1: Oh, i didn't mean it like i didn't mean it like
0: that. Because i didn't like plot it out like it didn't it didn't right. trigger that for me. I mean, it sort of did, but whatever i had read about it early before it was released pretty much just said it it's in the shadow of the Manson stuff. But i wasn't expecting him to you know, completely rewrite right. what happens. A lot of okay. glorious bastards, and I suppose you could also look at Django's ending along the same way that there's this fantasy upmanship yes. of what actually happened in real life.
1: Yes, but because Django is in and of itself a work of fiction, it's automatically because Django itself is a work of fiction. It, it automatically is invited into having an ending of a different kind but yes it was this weird kind of satisfying but also repellent kind of this is cathartic yeah bloodlight also by the way including fire
0: mm-hmm. though that's not you the know. case with most of the other films so this might be we, a recent the three we've phenomenon. been talking about yeah yeah no that's true you still with me
1: yeah absolutely
0: okay <clears throat> let's see how this goes
1: <laughs> It'll be fine. Um, listen, uh, well, before I get back into it, I, I can probably be done with this in ten minutes, fifteen great. at the outside. Okay, great. And and then if you want to touch on Lion King briefly, I only need briefly for Lion King.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I'd, um, I'd still rather put something out there about her
1: I oh, you mean as its own separate thing or yeah? Okay.
0: We need content, baby.
1: Well, except that I, okay, I think, uh, okay, never mind. I'll come back to that in a minute. Okay. Um, What I was going to suggest is that, and I'm going to, in a second I'm going to suggest it so that it's cuttable, so you can use what I'm saying as a way of introducing what I'm about to say. You follow me? Say it. So anyway, I had this thought that maybe we could just sort of do quick I liked this part, I didn't like that part, although I imagine for your yes. side there will be no I didn't likes. Oh, but I like just it. sort of rapid fire and then the other person can sure. either jump on or disagree, you know, uh, in spirit Excellent. without going into like a whole protracted. I like that idea a lot. All right, I'll start rattling off some things I liked. Well, because I do
0: I do want done to respond. A lot of I do want to respond to the last thing that you were talking about before. Oh yeah,
1: well, go ahead.
0: One thing that soft pedaled the history rewriting for me is yeah. actually the very last scene of the movie, mm-hmm. where it starts when uh, the J. Sebring character starts talking to yeah Emil Hirsch is, is down yeah, at the yeah, driveway chatting him, him, it up yeah, with uh, and chatting it up, and it just Brad sort of struck Pitt. me, wow, like this is weird. Sort of seeing this real person who's supposed to be dead right at this moment, but as if life was continuing, then when Sharon calls on the intercom, there was something about the the simplicity of the exchange. Hi, neighbor. You know, there wasn't... Right. It wasn't Tarantino'd up dialogue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was just so everyday and innocuous. It was almost kind of touching to me to sort of see... Uh, What's her name? Margot Robbie. Yeah. In those moments that really kind of took the curse off of it for me in a way that Inglourious, like neither Inglorious Bastards nor Django. Uh,
1: Um, yeah. Okay. no, that's that. That is a territory that he has is very um, underexplored by him is kind of every day, but also with a softness and an emotionality and so on and so forth. Yeah, there's more feeling here than in a lot of other
0: of his movies. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, like I it, mean emotionally he, it's it's probably yeah. closest to Jackie Brown.
1: In some ways he kind of hides behind the B movie kind of shtick, you know, yeah. that as wonderful as I think uh and like evocative and kind of terrifying as I felt like um Christoph Waltz was in yeah. in, in in Bastards. Um It still is like a heightened caricature-type performance. And so you're not going to get any the real kind of everyday sort of human being feelings in it. But as long as you brought up uh, uh, Margot Robbie, um, I just wanted to touch on that for a second too. Because she is sort of like, she's this ray of sunshine here. And she's certainly very watchable. As a, as an actress, and I suppose just as a woman, that's well, very um, diplomatic that of you. <laughs> Thank you. It surprises me a, a, little bit how kind of, well, I mean, I don't want to sound like people who were complaining before, but I feel, I feel in some ways like she, she was not utilized to her full capability, but this was just how he wanted to represent Sharon Tate.
0: It was, but I give to her credit that she was able to do so much with so little, as it were. I mean, yes. I, I, fa- I found the scene where she's watching the Wrecking Crew and, and the audience laughs. She kind of does a little look around and this, this private beaming smile. <laughs> yes, yes. That her moment worked with, with an audience. was so sweet. That was such a sweet moment.
1: And very, very genuine, yeah. And I, you know, I, I wouldn't even necessarily know like what she was capable of bringing if it weren't for something like Itania,
0: which I still haven't seen.
1: Which is a really, tr- you know, a really tremendous performance, and more, more kind of interesting than I thought it was going to be. I was, I was ready to sort of piss and moan about that movie, and the, you know, she just was sort of undeniable in it. Uh, what I will piss and moan about from that movie is... Give me one second. Oh, and I would love to talk about this once you have caught up with it. If you caught up, if you catch up I with w- it. I Hold am long, going to catch up, it. but it's in the queue. I wanna, it's on the list. I want to do this justice. I absolutely despised Allison Janney's performance in it. I thought she was in like in a different movie almost. She has been so wonderful for so long... And they missed so many opportunities to give her awards and then they gave her one for this and it leaves a terrible taste. I
0: know that kind of performance of which you speak, where it seems like they're they're not on the same plane with the other Just
1: you wait. Just you wait. You give me a call and then you'll know after you've seen it. All right, so So was there anything you liked about
0: Once Upon a (laughs) Time? Uh, yes,
1: I will do I will do a Dr. couple Dean. of a uh, couple of things I have things I liked I still have kind of a list of things I liked and things I didn't like, but I adored Margaret Qualley or Qualey
0: Mar- Qualley, yeah
1: as pussycat, I would have murdered Sharon Tate for that woman. She was okay. so fucking charming.
0: yes, yeah, she was she was incredible
1: and. I just could not get enough of her. So if she had been the leader of the cult, I would have understood why everybody did everything they did. So she was phenomenal. I thought Julia fucking Butters acted everybody under the table. She was great. Trudy. Yeah. Uh, Just phenomenal. I mean, she didn't just share the screen with him. She more than shared it. I mean, she took it. I really loved her performance. Yeah. In this larger sense. One of the things that I associate, one of the many kind of, oh, this is what you're going to get when you see a Quentin Tarantino movie, is that you're going to see an actor who has faded and he's going to bring their star back alight. And they're going to burn with as much intensity as they ever did before. Right. Uh, John Travolta being the prime example of this. He got right. an extra 25 years on his career of one turd after another Ain't that the truth. off of... Off of this, oh, I mean, off of uh, you know, um, Pulp, Fiction. *Pulp Fiction*, but that is, as far as I can tell, that is not in play here even remotely, and so that sort of has been replaced by the pleasure for my, for for me anyway, of discovering both uh, Margaret and and uh, Julia. Yeah. Um, because and... I, I I can't wait to see what they're gonna do more than I cared what Travolta would do after the other one.
0: Sure. And also, to give credit where credit is due, I think uh, Leo is really terrific in, in that first scene with Julia Butters.
1: Oh, absolutely. The Where they're sitting on the chairs? Yeah. That's really the... the Or they're, no, they're sitting outside the saloon or something. They're studying. Yeah, 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 She's reading a book. He's reading a book, and she's studying a script, or she's taking over the world, or whatever it is she's doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, completely agree with you there. Um, what I had heard somewhere, maybe you can confirm or deny this. Yes was that the scene with Bruce Dern which was yes. an absolute turd of a scene.
0: Yeah, that could have been a there lot was, better.
1: That was just that was just wasted time and space. And All that build up to what's going to happen when he gets inside the house and then nothing fucking happens.
0: Yeah, not even like a good line.
1: Right, that part but po- possibly not the same character, but in theory it could have been the same character I suppose. That was supposed to be Burt Reynolds. Right. But he right. died,
0: and thank goodness he did, because I think it would have been a real <laughs> sad ending to his career to look well haggard and dragged and, and haggard and drugged up and whatever. Right, just right. Tired, but old.
1: That's what the guy is supposed to look like, so it would have fit. No, what I was going to say is, I wonder if that wasn't the John Travolta part for Bert that he was going to take Bruce that he was going to take. Burt Reynolds and he was going to give him something, not what we saw, but something else that was going to make him king in Hollywood again. Yeah. Because I also understand that among the things that have been cut out, I can't remember which actor, but there's not Tim Roth, but another younger actor has been excised completely from... Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I I know who you're talking about.
1: uh, Well, somewhere I had heard that he was going to be playing the young Burt Reynolds.
0: There might be flashbacks.
1: Yeah, so that then that then builds this kind of opportunity to make the Burt Reynolds, a Burt Reynolds scene there much more powerful if it's the end of a story.
0: Yeah, well, that we'd
1: fallen in love with some young guy playing a certain part, playing George Spawn, and then we see what he became in the end, and you go, oh my God, you know that could have really been a powerful thing if that had been able to be kept together. But what's weird is you see Bruce Dern, you don't you don't bat an eye because he's part of the stable of Tarantino actors. So I never, for a second, thought what's he doing here. Well, I don't know. But if also he was he... in
0: another <laughs> film. I don't know if that constitutes stable. He's, well, he's not like a Samuel uh, L. Listen, Jackson as, as, and, or uh, Tim Roth who keeps popping up here and there.
1: No, I understand, but yeah, well, uh, except that the that the movie that he was in, he was one of eight people on screen almost constantly. Anyway, doesn't matter. I understand. I understand what you're saying. So Bruce Stern is among the things that I not so much him, but that scene are among the my little you know parting shots. Al Pacino didn't care for it for a bit,
0: yeah. That at was all. Also, that was also uh, a waste of could, talent. That could have been a
1: could completely do without it.
0: Yeah. I felt like his scenes were not helping, helping the younger audience no. to uh, uh, uh. bringing them up to speed on the world that existed back then and the way things were done right. in Hollywood. That it
1: didn't feel it didn't feel like anything. Now, sort of in another larger. Oh, I really didn't like Damian Lewis uh, at, as Steve McQueen.
0: Really. I didn't mind looks, him as Steve he McQueen. He looks
1: perfectly like him. Yes, he did. He, he looks perfectly like but him. But for some reason... But he doesn't... Yeah. Yeah,
0: well, he doesn't He doesn't sound like him. He doesn't act like him enough.
1: Right. Um. And right. also,
0: I, I didn't quite get the frizzy... Like, why did... Was this the frizzy Steve McQueen as opposed to the I, straight I think if, close...
1: If you go back and look at the year, it's probably... You know, he's, it's the heat of the summer. He's getting frizzed out or something. I, I, I did, I did find the hair jarring, but not because it wasn't Steve McQueen hair specifically, but because it wasn't Damian Lewis's hair.
0: And where do you know Damian Lewis from? Because I don't think I've seen him in
1: anything. Oh, uh, billions is what I know him from. Ah. Which is a Showtime series it is. Where he plays a, a traitor a T-R-A-D-E-R Okay But I know he was also on uh, The first uh, First season or two Of Homeland With uh, Claire Danes mm. uh, But I, I was, I'm very taken by him On Billions I don't have Showtime But you know Like a free weekend or something I watched a bunch of them And I got hooked on it And then I don't have Showtime anymore So I don't know what's happening mm. With that story but more than like okay, so he he's a dead ringer in the face for the guy, right? But the hair was a little funky or or threw us off, yeah. And he he doesn't he doesn't have like the Steve McQueen it, he has the Damian Lewis it, and then what the fuck was he even there for anyway? Um, it was like oh here's a Hollywood party and here's somebody who would be at a Hollywood party, but then get somebody who's like dead nuts on, then instead of it being slightly off, and so sort of along, not, not along those same line necessarily. I'm really sort of on the fence leaning towards, I don't care for it with the endless cameos, uh, or, or like cameo plus where you've got Dakota Fanning as squeaky from Luke Perry turns up for five seconds.
0: I, that didn't bother me. You know, the, 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 that kind of stuff doesn't bother me.
1: Uh, Lena, Lena Dunham and, Haley Quinn Smith, fuck you. What do we need her for? What does anybody need her for? Who is she again? Kevin Smith's daughter, Yoga Hosers, was a movie he made starring his daughter. It's like a home movie. Okay. I guess almost every movie of his is like a home it's movie. A home anyway, movie, yeah. she's just sort of, in theory, she's going to be the new new Hollywood you know, royalty or, or what do you call that? Uh. The acting dynasties, show business dynasties. But so, so an actor like Scoot McNary, but even more importantly to me, Clifton Collins Jr., I see a guy like that and I go, great, he's in this. This means it's going to be good because he's going to do something good. Oh, wait a minute. He didn't have a line and I'm never going to see him again. Yeah. That really started to bother me when I would see people and, and go, oh, great, they're here. And then realize, oh, they're not doing anything, which is almost exactly <laughs> what people are saying about DeMargo. You know, Timothy Oliphant had a little bit more screen time. He looked really bizarre, but I love him. Mm. I love him dearly. I know you do. He's my justified and, and all know. kinds of goodness. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, disappointed that he didn't have more to do or didn't look better doing it. And sort of on and on. I mean, the list does really go on. Michael, what's his name? Damn it. Rebecca Gayhart. Mm. Martin Cove. Yeah. I mean, uh, James Remar. Some of these people, when they're playing like old TV actors, which is part of what it does, I'm a little bit more like uh, comfortable with it. Yeah. Because it feels like, you know, kind of appropriate that they're actors playing actors. Right. But.
0: All right, so. so (sighs) Rumor, oh,
1: Rumor Willis is in there. Another, you know, daughter of a so-and-so. Such-and-such. Kurt Russell was fine. Like, why did Kurt Russell narrate Five times, starting at minute forty and ending at minute
0: yeah, one hundred five. Hour five ke- minutes. I wasn't keen on the narration.
1: I just felt like narration is generally a tool to cover your tracks. He
0: hates it, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Yeah, so I felt like it was an indication that stuff had had to been cut and he was trying to kind of piece things together particularly since it didn't appear from the beginning unless there's some european or japanese movie that did that and so he's paying homage to that by doing it here whatever whatever that to me is a lot of jerking off at this point but uh gosh there were so many different things that i wanted to say the the um oh the car i heard somewhere the car that they're driving that um brad pitt is always driving around the really nice car whatever it was yeah is is not only from reservoir dogs it's the same car
0: oh that's funny that was uh what did you think of mike moe and the bruce lee scene Oh, yeah, I
1: wanted to get to that. I wanted to get to that. One second. Let me get rid of this first thing so we can be done with it. Michael Medson, or Madsen owns that car. Ah, okay. And it's the same one that was... Uh, you see what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Um, that, to me, is kind of cool. Like, a lot of those... That that level of Easter egg, to me, is cool. Or, for example, somebody said somewhere that on a freeway, kind of next to whatever car, we're, the hero car that we're following... You can see a, a work van of a business that had radio ads in the 70s. Like a plumber. Right. A f- sort of a famous local plumber. Yeah. And so that kind of stuff is like really kind of super cool to me. But f- putting flamethrowers in it because you did flamethrowers before isn't kind of as cool. I love that scene.
0: I actually really like that scene too. I love the
1: Bruce Lee scene.
0: You know, it wasn't clear to me that it was a flashback. You know, I thought it was like lunchtime. Oh, okay. he's just hanging out in the set with some of the guys he knows and it's the set of the Green Hornet. I didn't. Right. So I'd be curious if uh, on a second viewing if Kurt Russell's wearing the same outfit as in the prior scene where uh, Leo is talking oh, him into yeah keeping this guy on for a day. I
1: mean, I knew it was. I knew it was the same. I knew it was a flashback, but. I don't know how I knew, and 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 I don't know how yeah, I that it. would be the way to track it.
0: Yeah, I don't know how I missed it that it was a flashback, but uh, I didn't have a problem with that scene either, largely because well, I I mean I understand why the Bruce Lee people are upset about yeah, it. Yeah, yes. I mean, no one's a saint, and this is a fictive like, yeah. I guess it's a problem if you're really worried that people are going to come away from this movie knowing nothing else about Bruce Lee, except that he got his ass kicked by this guy in a movie.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, it's not like it's the Bruce Lee story.
0: Right. And also, I've read a lot of uh, mischaracterizations of that scene as Brad Pitt winning. It's like, no did not win I know now it turns out that yes it was originally conceived of and presumably shot with Pitt's character winning but the way it's edited now it's like yeah it's 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 eye and I think there there should be some credit thrown to Brad Pitt for believably being able to get one in oh absolutely to to, to, to get this guy in a role yeah Brad
1: Pitt looks so fucking fantastic in this movie. He looks so much like a seventies movie star. It is stunning. Yeah. I mean, it's not that he looks oh, like you look at him and you go, hey, that's that's Robert Redford. But it's you're like, that's not not Robert Redford. You know, it's like it's like it's just perfect the way he looks. Yeah. In fact, he looks more like uh, a star from that era, I think, than well, than leading DiCaprio men, looks like one. A
0: lot, but like the most leading men were older men at that time. Still, it wasn't right twenty right. somethings who were the big sex symbols. It was Robert Redford and Steve McQueen. <laughs> so yeah, no, yeah, it, true he, enough. He had that true look. It, it, it was like he took his shirt off, and I'm like, is he referencing a Marlboro ad? Like, <laughs> this is, I feel like like it's the faded back cover advertisement of a playboy magazine or something from back then right yeah
1: i wanted to say one quick thing about dicaprio that i had kind of read which was uh, to me sort of interesting was that and i guess you know sort of maybe credit due to tarantino but that and i hadn't thought of it this way for for this particular movie for some reason even though in other similar setups i had realized it but dicaprio was having trouble playing the parts that uh, Rick Dalton... Like the, like the you know, the Bounty Law character. He's not supposed to pay, play the Bounty Law character the way DiCaprio would play him. He's supposed to play it the way Rick Dalton would play him. Right. And that's a level of sophistication that's kind of tricky to go like, okay, if I was this you know, fading star uh, maybe B, B, B movie type a B-list type actor. How would I play this part? And and he was having trouble being that bad, or I don't know what. He just couldn't get his wrap his head around it. In any case, the scene where he, where he, uh, he flubs his line on the set.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It wasn't an ad lib, but it came out of a conversation. You know where he had turned to to uh, to Tarantino and said, "Look, I'm kind of having a problem here." And he and Tarantino suggested that as the character Rick Dalton. Rick doesn't know his line or blows his line. So that that became an element that was added to that scene, and then the stuff in the trailer was all ad-lib. They just said let's do a thing where you get back to your trailer and you lose your shit. You
0: know, I actually didn't care for that scene.
1: That's Well, so I I love that. I love your reaction to the anecdote being you didn't like it, because that then highlights how it didn't quite fit.
0: Well, no, I I liked him flubbing his line. I even liked the way that the right. scene was shot as if it was the finished film, as opposed right. to seeing, you know, the, the lights and the crew off to one side, you know? No,
1: I, I understand. I got to tag back on that when you're finished but with your But I
0: felt like it was almost like, see, I mean, it was borderline scenery chewing, the destruction of the, of the camper. Yes. And also the fact that he was yes. shouting at the top of his lungs, it's like, well, dude, then why are you even in your trailer? Because everyone outside, anyone walking by, is gonna fucking hear you. <laughs> you know, why don't you just have a tantrum out there in public? It. So I love it. I love it. I don't know. I I felt like, you know, that scene could go. Movie wouldn't lose a thing. You. No,
1: absolutely. This is what I'm saying. I think 40 minutes of scenes could go, yeah, and the movie wouldn't lose
0: it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, um, don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. me. but I'm, I'm but not, but you're not, you're I'm hungry not, for not, the extra. I'm not discounting it. I'm just like. We could be here all day talking about those 40 minutes of yours.
1: Uh, that is true. Uh, I will say one sort of, I guess, last thing. I'm sure there's. this is absolutely one of those things that I'm going to wake up tonight and three days from now and a month from now going, Oh, fuck, I forgot to say this. Yeah,
0: I'm sure um, I did too. But
1: since you touched on it, I will say that 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 scene is part of one of the things I hate most in movies and was most disappointed to see. This particular director stooped to, which is that we are watching what is presumably a take. We're outside the saloon and the guy is telling the bad guy to leave. And then DiCaprio's character comes out from the saloon doors and he has a couple of lines and he moves around. We're presumably watching them shoot that. That started with like a we're rolling kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And it's not a single shot. You start seeing cutaway shots to supporting characters doing reacting shots to these men who are facing each other. As soon as you cut to another shot, you—it's the whole fucking thing is a lie because that's not how you make a movie. You don't do the reaction shots at the same time. And then to go inside, and then he flubs the line, and they go, oh, reset, go to position one, and now the camera dollies back. I felt like that's completely dishonest uh, filmmaking, To me, up there with that thing where they show you flashbacks in the third act to things you saw in the first act so you can understand what's going on. I just felt like it's just... uh, That, I feel like, is complete hack. The very thing that you said, I don't mind it, I kind of liked it. If they had only done that one scene, all they needed was that one scene where he blows his line. That's all they needed. We didn't need the five minutes out in the fucking alleyway. No, we didn't. And, And that's the part I had the biggest problem with because it... Once you get inside and it's just that single tracking shot, then I'm fine with it. Like making us think that we're watching them, we're watching a finished product, but then we realize, oh, we're watching them actually make it. Right. You know, that's, that's fine. Rather like that actually, but not when you shit the bed in the previous scene.
0: Okay. Fair enough.
1: Uh, So I guess we're going to do some, uh, some final takes. Unless you have, you have any more, anything else you want to kind of go, hey, here's a grace note.
0: Interesting tidbit yes so the guy on the ranch who sticks the knife in brad pitt's tire and then is yes. beaten into changing it that's yes. a, that's a character called clem in real and in real life that clem was a member of the manson yeah. gang who was arrested for murdering a stunt man who came by to visit one day unexpectedly to drop in and see oh. George?
1: Wow. Okay, okay. So I've gotta put my respect, I gotta put my respect back on again. Go on, please.
0: Okay, no, no, just that uh, I, I really liked the 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 flip of that scene.
1: Yes, um, okay. Remember when I said before that in, in Glorious Bastards* I didn't feel that he had earned the right to rewrite history? Yes. And that in this one, simply by naming it once upon a time, he opened the door to earn the right? Yes. To rewrite history? Yes. You're telling me that little detail makes me f- slip into the worship category. Even though nobody knows that. Yeah before we ever got to the end where he rewrote it he had rewritten something in the middle so i have to give great props to setting up the fact even though that in real time i wasn't aware of it right i have to give props for setting up the fact that, that i was that hoping people's that not only not only is is history going to change but people's lives are going to be saved
0: yep, yep.
1: And that furthermore, based on what you just said, my brain is exploding with this juicy tidbit. I hate you so fucking much. It, is that that very, that very fictional stuntman then saves the others. Right. I know. Because he's not dead. Right. He's there to take care of it. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. So, hang on. All the more reason that that whole thing you should have thought during that whole thing that Brad Pitt could die.
0: Yes, it should have been more tense of a build-up, definitely. Um,
1: because that would that would inform, whether I knew it or not, that would inform the real story as well. This is what makes me crazy about him, is because, hold on, my head is going to explode, <laughs> is because he's capable of these super cool, nuanced, and skillful things, and then other times he just takes a shit on a plate, and I'm supposed to love it while everyone else is laughing it up with fucking spoons and
0: tongues. Well, Jesus. Well, I, if it's supposed to? Like, Do you think that that is his goal? That you we eat he, it up? Oh, well, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else, Mrs. Lincoln?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. Look, I'm going to do my final take. Then you can do yours and we can get out. We can get mm. off this. Um, mm. Although it's been pleasurable. All right, so look. He, he is not just a, a director, he's an auteur. Some people who, you know, like Nolan, Christopher Nolan, or I can't no. think of any. Give me another example. Who?
0: No, I was just mocking the way you said Christopher oh. Nolan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Plenty of mocking. I'm saying there's Sorry. some directors who are sort of just directors. Wes Anderson would fall into the category in hey, my yeah, mind yeah. We, of a...
0: We know what you mean. Okay, I'm we just saying. All
1: right, fine, fine. And he falls into that category, mm-hmm. um, so he gets credit, in my mind, as being one of those types of filmmakers who control so many elements. So if the cinematography is brilliant, that a lot of the kudos goes to him. It's shared with the actual cinematographer, but I give him credit there. Get, set design, give him credit there. Sound design, give him credit there. There's so many areas where he has created this incredibly beautiful and richly textured world that is stunning to me and what makes me absolutely nuts is that then the script doesn't deliver characters that deserve to live in that fucking world that's my take
0: that's your take that's your final take that's my final take well <laughs> i think it's a i think it's a great set piece of a movie it has compelling characters in an otherwise not entirely compelling story. I will give you that. It's a lazy memory piece. But I had fun with it, possibly because I already have a built-in af- affinity for the time period and the setting that he's recreating. But I thought it was tremendously well acted. I know we didn't mention a lot of the other fantastic cast, many of whom strongly resembled their, re- their real-life counterparts, the Manson girls especially. Yeah almost breathtaking. But I thought there was enough humor and otherwise nice quality moments that I, I was on board for the ride, and that's it.
1: Uh, excellent. Excellent. Well, I, I mean, I neither one of us set out to change the other one's mind, but I, I hope each of us represented his position oh, uh, the, in a strong way.
0: I know I'm not, you know... <laughs> I have no illusions of turning you around on anything. I'm grabbing at straws. <laughs> Here's some well, Manson trivia.
1: No, no, listen. You almost had it with that one, with that one little bit there. That, that did make a profound... I think over time my opinion about this movie is going to change. Is going to soften more. Let
0: me ask you a question. Yeah. You once said to me very long time ago... Oh, no. I think around the time of Pulp Fiction... Okay. You said to me that basically your take on the movie at that point was it's probably the movie that he would be best, that he'll be best known for, but it won't be his best movie. And I'm curious how the older Dr. D reconciles what the younger man said. And wow.
1: Wow. I, where do you I think?
0: Was... Wait, wait, where is this on the spectrum? And then, just out of curiosity, what, what is his best film, do you think?
1: Oh, my God. Uh, well, first of all, let me just say about all that. Thank God you remember things I said. That's number one. Number two, I'm a profound motherfucker. That's pretty deep. Takes one to know one. <laughs> Gosh. We got to stick okay. together. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yes. Don't, let us, don't let them break us up.
0: We cold MFs got to stick together.
1: I... I still think that... No, I, I... At that time, I could have no idea how many movies he would make that would be culturally impactful. Certainly, that first one was. You know, certainly... Um, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs was, was very uh, impactful culturally. And I think many of his other ones have been as well and so i don't think i can i can't stand by that this is what he'll be remembered by statement that part of it
0: that's fair that's totally fair i
1: have to let that go i'm just sort of scanning his his list so that i can be fair about
0: make sure it's just as a director because if you look at everything we'll be no no i
1: i did i did it's uh it's he still has he has 22 credits as a director but only nine features. So there's some TV stuff in here. And then the, he's getting tagged for like things that were re-releases and things that were, yeah, you know, whatever. Right. Like Grindhouse is in here, but Death Proof is also in here. And I feel like that's splitting hairs.
0: No, it, well, actually, no, it's because the uh, uh, they're two IMDb includes video exclusive releases. Yes, and that's yes, sort of what I'm saying. Yes, Grindhouse was the theatrical release, but they did release them. As individual movies on DVD. Here's what I'm going to say. So he kind of gets the credit twice in their universe, but we know better. I get it. Like, there's
1: Kill Bill Volume 1, Kill Bill Volume 2, and then there's something called Kill Bill The Whole Bloody Affair. Which is... yeah, oh,
0: yeah, I wish. Oh, if only there were actually something else oh. called that. No, I'm saying... It does not exist yet.
1: They're saying it on IMDb as having been released in 2011. No, <laughs> IMDb is wrong. This says, "You know what? You try to find it on Amazon for oh, me. Oh yeah, send me that link." No, I understand. Look, just because you it, it
0: was planned <laughs> or announced, but it never fully happened. Really, IMDb is stupid about oh. including. Yeah, near it says four hours and Mrs. seven minutes,
1: March twenty seventh, twenty eleven. Uh, anyway, we that can be further research. This product later. is currently unavailable. Let me. Yeah. let me say uh, then let me say that so with regards to that statement that i made that you're uh, you're quoting back to me as far as the rest of the world goes he will he there he created far too many polarizing works of art that were capable of being um, admired and revered for it to be narrowed down to his being remembered for just one picture so that that's blown out of the water as far as i'm concerned. I enjoyed pulp fiction consistently more than anything else I've seen him do. Coming close for me, not necessarily in this order, is uh, uh but up near in my, let's say my top 5 is kay. uh Django Unchained, Inglorious Bastards, The Hateful 8, and this is the top 5? For me, I'm not saying in this order. I'm okay. just saying among
0: okay. uh, uh.
1: among the five, and I guess I would put Reservoir Dogs in there. But I, again, I have to revisit it. But
0: so even though you enjoyed Pulp Fiction a lot more pound for pound, yeah. than than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yes, it's still Pulp Fiction is still not in the top five. No, no, for pulp,
1: you, no. What's not in the top five is. <laughs> is once upon a time in hollywood here i'm going to start over my top five includes pulp fiction at the very top no question about it oh, okay. tied for uh, for second through fifth is reservoir dogs which i which i have to revisit inglorious bastards Django Unchained, Unta- the hateful eight that would make five i did not care mm-hmm. for i did not care for or didn't maybe just simply didn't understand kill bill one and two uh, Jackie Brown leaves me mostly cold. Uh, am I supposed to include four rooms? Probably not. I have to admit that death I haven't proof. seen I haven't seen death proof and I will see it just to fill in that gap and out of out of respect for you. My guess is I'm going to hate it because
0: I, I, that's always my guess. Uh, no no, no but here's. here's what, I D? think
1: death proof is going to be John Waters on steroids, like super super camp violence and nonsense and bad acting and, and reveling in the B movie type glory, which to me often just passes for someone who's not really good at something, but then they're they're doing a send up of something that was markedly notably bad. And, well and when you're doing that spoiler Yeah.
0: Spoiler alert, yes, but not the not the John Waters genre. Okay. No 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 that I don't
1: mean the John Waters genre. What I mean is John Waters does camp. And he does it very, very well, but I don't think he could do not camp, and I think doing not camp is is requires more talent than doing camp. So okay. what I'm saying is that, to me, Death Proof sounds like Tarantino's uh, love of B movies.
0: Sent up... is going to be similar to Waters. Yes,
1: yes. As Waters as okay. Waters is to Camp, Inglorious Bastards is into. Uh, not in glorious passage sorry uh, death proof will be tarantino's version of camp worship in the sense that it's Um, worshiping b-movie violence that's a
0: valid theory that is a valid theory Mm -hmm. but that's all i'm going to say okay it's a valid
1: part of it is that i look at the movie and i go this is a guy i have problems a b c and d with this movie looks like it is playing into all those problems
0: checking off those boxes. And so, what are the chances I'm yes. gonna like
1: it, as opposed to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Hateful Eight or some of these other things, where I go, okay, he's playing against what I have in my mind as type for him. So maybe there's a way for this to rise above my normal, you know, bitter vitriol. I acknowledge that it's bitter vitriol, but I mean, I'm not the only person. He's a polarizing filmmaker, so I'm not the only person who goes, who who is down on him in some way, but. Anyway, so I was sort of going through the things I had and hadn't seen, and I've seen, I think, probably sixty or seventy percent of his feature work. And sounds
0: like it to me. Yeah.
1: So a- anyway, I-, I know that was kind of a question, sort of out of nowhere, but uh, I've lost, I've lost my momentum a little. Sorry.
0: You've lost the way. We, I that's did, right. I did my I wrap we were... up,
1: and you th- did your wrap up.
0: That kind of. We're done. That, that, we're done with his movie. That's everything. I
1: just want to drop in. 30 seconds to say that I know we've talked we have we have a movie both of us have seen that we're probably going to go do go ahead and do a show about that I won't mention here but I have seen a movie recently that we did talk about seeing and that I think would make a terrific episode so I am going to say here officially on the air I would like to encourage you if you can find it to watch The Kitchen so we can have a hell of a conversation about that.
0: Duly noted. All right thank you
1: anyway uh it may not i don't know how thank our it's, listening if audience if it's playing wide there yes i will ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for joining us today and putting up with all of our nonsense especially mine for now and until next time the doctors are out oh timmy timmy